I'm in here in a few moments, so I probably won't need this. Okay. Well, I, I'm turned on now. Amen. We are sincerely grateful for the opportunity to be in your presence this morning. Because my wife and I probably need to be here more than you do. And I stand before you this morning to tell you that I'm not losing my family. I'm not losing my wife, not losing my son or my new daughter-in-law or anybody else in my extended family. How about you? I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to make sure that I lay the appropriate example out for my wife and everybody that I love. And so I do commend your great eldership here and your ministers and everyone who serves for this great program that you put on every year, I understand, with regard to fortifying the family. This morning during our Bible class hour, I understand we're supposed to eat around 3 o'clock. Is that correct? <laughs> okay. So somebody says, oh, he has jokes, you know. <laughs> this morning we do want to talk about raising godly children in an ungodly world. Now this presupposes that you are godly yourself. This presupposes that you are disciplined enough and serious enough about your relationship with God Almighty that you've been able to demonstrate that before our children. I'm tired of beating up on our kids. Y'all hear me? I read something in the newspaper a couple of weeks ago that McDonald's was being sued because kids are getting so fat. And my question is, is who's taking them there? Y'all say amen in Alabama? <laughs> I'm just curious. I mean, we're beating up on everybody but the right person, and that's the one that looks back in the mirror. And while our children are leaving our families and leaving our homes in an alarming rate when they turn the age, when they turn 18, you and I need to make absolutely certain that they don't turn their back on Jesus because of us. That's why I've told you I'm committed to not lose my wife or my family. Now, my wife is here with me this morning. She's that gorgeous lady that's sitting up here. My wife is just like the American Express card. I never leave home without her. And when I was blessed to live in Nashville, Tennessee, and flying all around the country and speaking, I woke up one morning at about 2 o'clock, and I said, Honey, from this day forward, if I am ever invited to speak anywhere, you will go with me. And if the eldership would deem that they don't have it in their budget for you to go, then I'm not going. I'm not going to end up being saint elsewhere and then going nowhere without my wife. Y'all hear me? All you young whippersnapper preachers out there, y'all better listen to this old decrepit preacher. Don't you go anywhere without your wife, because you're not that good. <laughs> and I thank God that my wife is with me, because you'll find out why she's my better half when you get a chance to talk to her. I'm going to ask you this morning to open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14, and I... I know that you understand that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I don't know when was the last time you studied the great book of Ezekiel, but there is something that is mentioned here that is so spiritually scintillating that I want to start my discussion with you with this passage of Scripture. I'm in Ezekiel chapter 14, 
would like to start reading at verse number 12. I'll be studying from the New American Standard Translation all day today. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they depopulated it, and it became desolate so that no one would pass through it because of the beast. Though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Or if I should bring a sword on that country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it. Even though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I should send a plague against that country and pour out my wrath and blood on it to cut off from man and beast from it, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague to cut off man and beast from it. Yet behold, survivors will be left in it, who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Behold, they're going to go forth to you, and you will see their conduct and actions. Then you will be comforted for the calamity which I have brought against Jerusalem for everything which I have brought upon it. May God always bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and divine word. What a powerful spiritual triumvirate. Noah, Daniel, and Job. And even those three godly men would not have been able to deliver their own children from the devastation that was going to occur. I believe this morning that if you found out that any of your children were in jeopardy, that you would sacrifice your life for them. Is that not correct? And if you wouldn't, you don't deserve to be a parent. And we'll throw ourselves at their mercy and we'll say, oh, I'll die for you. But my question this morning is, are we living before God for them? Because if I were to take these teenagers to a separate room and ask them, is Jesus the Lord of your parents? They tell me the truth. Teenagers don't lie. You know, they know everything. I don't know about Alabama, but they do in Florida. They know it all. But are you and I serious this morning, brothers and sisters, about living before them in such a way that they are inflamed with the love of God. 
I'm talking about how they get excited when they stick those things in their ears and they, you know, walk around like this and they don't talk to anybody and, and they watch these movies for hours and they don't go to the bathroom and then they come to the church building and every five minutes they have to go use the bathroom. I still don't understand that. Up and down, I mean, just like a popcorn popper. They can't be still. And when it's time to sing the songs of Zion, it's almost like they have laryngitis. And I used to get on the kids, but now I'm looking at their parents who come to the assembly without their Bible and they fold their arms and they say, well, you impress me. I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to impress upon you the importance of living before God in a holy way. Because our children are making value judgments every hour, every minute of the day as they watch us. And it's not what we say to them, brothers and sisters, it's what they see us do. That's why I've already told you I'm not losing my wife and I'm not losing my son. When I need to repent, you know what I do? I repent! When I need to say I'm sorry, I say I'm sorry. I don't come up with political expediencies. It's ridiculous because then that's what they will do. And then we wring our hands and go, well, what's happened to our children? Well, what's happened to us? How many grandparents do we have here this morning? You know, y'all get a double crown in heaven. You will. God bless you for what you do. This is the year and the generation of grandparents. What you guys are doing is just absolutely extraordinary. I'll have a little bit more to say about that before the day is over. The issue of discipline is a double-edged sword. Discipline is what we need the most and want the least. We want our children to be disciplined. We want them to love the Lord, but we don't want to show them how to do that. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and saying, you know, you, you've come all the way from Jacksonville, Florida to upset me because I'm doing all these things. Well, good for you. I'm glad you're doing all these things. But maybe before the day is over, you'll hear a passage of scripture or there may be a spiritual concept that will rush across your heart that you're not doing. And then the, the real question will be, are you going to change and do better? I want to learn from every possible avenue. That's why I'm glad I'm here. Because look at all of these teachers that I will be exposed to, especially when I'm feeding my face a little bit later on today. And those of you who have gray hair, God bless you for letting us know you have gray hair. I think y'all ought to put Clairol out of business. <laughs> Sometimes we become so attached to this world that we just, we just don't want to get old. We're ashamed and we're afraid. We won't be young forever. And you won't be staying here forever, and neither will I. We need to make sure that our children know that there is something greater than this world. Amen? We not only need to talk about it, they need to see it in our lives, and they need to believe it by the way we live and by the way we serve our Heavenly Father. Since children are a heritage from God, we want to do everything possible to see that they are returned to him with the same loving care that he entrusted to us when he gave them to us. Wouldn't it be wonderful on the day of judgment, before you're ushered into the eternal presence of God, that Jesus would say, oh, by the way, Father, all of their children 
obeyed the gospel. All of them are faithful, and they will be next. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be incredible? No wonder Jesus is going to have to wipe every tear from our eyes in heaven. You know why? Because some people will be so full of regret. You're reaching out to people and they're not responding and you're wondering what's wrong with them. They seem to be successful in every venue other than in their relationship with God. Some of you this morning have broken hearts. I know what that's like. Do you hear me? My own sister is not faithful to Jesus right now, and I pray every day that God will give her an opportunity to come home before it's everlastingly too late. You and I better get serious about our relationship with God because today may be our last day on this side of eternity. I want to talk a little bit about this notion of discipline, and then I want to give you some strategies that I believe will help all of us help our children stand before God justified. I want to talk about what discipline is not, and then I'll tell you what it is. First of all, discipline is not godliness. Now, for a long time, I thought that it was, until in my devotional reading, I ran across 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And if you don't have this passage marked, let me encourage you to mark it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, where the Bible says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which we have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, I know a lot of people who are disciplined. They're so disciplined that they get up on Sunday morning and they go to the golf course and they play until they fall out. I know some people who are so disciplined that they go to the gym and they look at themselves for hours as they flex and they do all of this other kind of stuff. They're very disciplined. I know some guys who are more concerned about their golf swing than their offspring. So don't tell me that just because you think you're disciplined, you've connected with God. That has nothing to do with it. There is a jump, there's a leap, brothers and sisters, that you and I must be willing to make. You see, people profess to be disciplined and then they give themselves more attention than they do God. I know people who are involved in denominationalism and people who are involved in world religions who may be more disciplined than I am. But at the end of the day, Jesus is still Lord. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't care what they say out in our universities and in our colleges, because I have to deal with that every day. You hear me? You and I need to understand that discipline is, it's not just, it's not godliness. It has to be something more than that. Discipline, discipline rather, is not yelling and screaming at our children. 
I used to think Old Yeller was the lady who lived down the street until I found out it was a dog in a movie. Every time you turn around, she's just screaming at the top of her lungs, just screaming for the sake of screaming. Children don't like to be screamed at. My wife's uh, niece was listening to one of my sermons from Panama City, and she said, Auntie Kathy, what's, what's wrong with Uncle Bill? Why is he always screaming? Is he in pain? She said, no, honey, he's not in pain. He's just convicted. She said, well, is he always convicted like that? You know, can he turn the volume down some? So I told my wife, I said, I, I guess this weekend I'll, I'll try to be good. I'll turn the volume down some since, since I am a visiting preacher, you know, and I don't want to scare people off. Discipline is not advocating your parental responsibilities to the youth minister or Bible class teacher. Del Rey does not a drop-off service so that they can raise your kids. Now, I understand that you guys do have a youth minister, and I think that's wonderful. But some parents have missed it. The youth minister is not there to raise your children. That's your responsibility. And you can't jump on the elders to say, you know, we need to have more activities around here. Well, is your house open? Have you laid about, you know, $3,500 on the table and said, take this money and do something special with our young people? Have you done that? Oh, no, Brother Davis, I can't do that. You know, we're living in tough times. Now, I just bought my Lexus and I can't make my payments. Where's the priority? You know, when you look at my personal budget, you will find out what's important to me, right? When you look at our budget at Arlington, you'll find out how important our children are when you look at that line item, won't you? Young people are going, yeah, yeah, $3,500, yeah, yeah. Put it in there. It's not a babysitting service. They are here to assist us and to provide support to the primary things that go on in our homes. Discipline is not threatening and promising to address unacceptable behavior and then never following through. I go to the grocery store and I hear these mothers, now Johnny, if you do that one more time, I'm going to count to 10, one, and I'm thinking, what are you counting for? Why are you counting? Susan, you go to timeout. And I'm saying, ma'am, is this a hockey game or what? What are we doing? What are you putting them in timeout for? What are they supposed to do there? Well, you know, when your father gets home, he's going to take care of you. I grew up in West Texas. My father left my mother when I was 11 years old. It was God, my mom, and my two sisters. And in our council meetings that we had every week, my mom looked at all of us and said, you know what? I've had all of your ears checked. There's nothing wrong with your ears. So when I tell you to do something, I'm only going to tell you once. And you know what? That works. Now we have to have an intellectual discussion with our children to take out the trash. Take out the trash. Well, why do I have to take it out now? I'm watching Grey's Anatomy. Can't you wait? And... Young people, let me tell you something. When your parents ask you to do something, you need to do it. Then. There's no waiting around. There's no, well, I don't want to do it. And don't do what I used to do, mumble under your breath, because God can hear you. Don't ever break your mother's heart. 
Don't ever break your father's heart. Don't do it. I know y'all think that they're old fogey and they're out of touch, and that may be true to some degree. But they're not here to please you. They're here to please God. It's tough being a parent. You wait till you become one. That's why they gloat all over your, your kid. They gloat all over grandkids, and they make fun of you, and they say, here, take them back, you know. You know, it's just yours, you know. Dirty diaper, dirty, you know. Discipline is not giving your kids all the things you never got when you were their age. When we were stationed in Germany, I went to the, went to the base and went to the commissary and went to the BX and bought just about everything in the store. My wife said, you have lost your mind. I said, but honey, this, this, this is my one and only child. I want him to have a great Christmas. She said, this is ridiculous. I said, it's not ridiculous. He needs a tricycle and he needs this and he, and he needs that. And y'all know what he ended up playing with. He ended up playing with the boxes. Because I wanted him to have everything that I didn't have. Access is not the answer, brothers and sisters. Discipline is not cutting your children slack so that they think that you're a cool parent. Well, I get to hang out with my mom. No, you don't get to hang out with your mom. You're blessed to have a mom. You're blessed to have a father. If they're still on this side of eternity. And you and I should never, ever forget that. Well, then what is discipline? I believe that it comes from the root word disciple. And a disciple is a pupil and a learner and a follower. Because if we don't get this notion of discipline straight in our heads, our children will announce publicly comments like this, I'm going to my room. And the first time I heard my son say that, I, I said, girl, did I hear him say what he just said? He's going to his room? She said, yeah, that's what he said. So when we, had our, when we had our family meeting, I said, you know, Ben, I was looking back through the title to this house. And, and, and here are the papers. And y'all know how many papers they give you, about 800. So I laid them all on the table and I said, would you please point out where your name is on any one of these lines? Oh, no, Dad, you know what I meant. I said, no, I don't know what you meant. This is not your room. You are privileged to live in this room by the grace of God. Everything that goes on in this room is just not acceptable for whatever you think should be acceptable. Are we clear on that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, good, let's get that straight. And so in my house, there was never a computer behind closed doors. I said, in my house. Now, if that's okay with you, then fine, but not in my place. You want to use the computer, you go out in the kitchen or you go out in the family room where everybody sees what's going on on the computer. We don't do anything behind closed doors in my house. There's no such thing as, well, these are my CDs. No, you're playing it in a house that God has blessed us with, so we don't bring trash in this house. We don't have people using profanity and expletives on music that you bring into this house that God has blessed with, has blessed us with. I don't know what it is. He went through a period that I call temporary insanity. 
That's the only way I can explain it. This is my room and this is, these are my clothes. And how much money did you spend on those clothes? None. I said, well, how can they be your clothes? Just because you're wearing them? You need to get that straight, Ben. God has blessed you to even be able to wear clothes and to have somewhere to live. You need to be a little bit more grateful than that. So now, today, I hear him and his wife talking about, you know, we're so grateful what God has given us. And I'm thinking, good, that old boy was listening. It works. I believe the problem with our current generation is that they want wealth without work. They want pleasure without conscience. They want knowledge without character and commerce without morality, and science without humanity, and worship without sacrifice. And when is the Bible class going to be over? And I'm just so bored. I told our young people in Arlington, maybe you won't like heaven. What? I said, you heard what I said, because that's all we're going to do is praise God throughout ceaseless ages. And if you can't sit beyond a two-hour sermon. Now, don't y'all start twitching. It's not going to be a, t- you know, what? You know, whoa, 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 holy brother Davis, you know. Just trying to tell them. They go to a movie, and they look at that twilight and everything else that's out there, and they don't even blink. Man, that movie was three hours, and I was just so engrossed. Well, what happened at Del Rado last week? I don't know. Some guy put me to sleep, you know. It's our value system, brothers and sisters. I think many times our young people are taking their cues from us. Let me tell you all a quick story and then I'll, I'll wrap this up for you. We got invited to speak in Kentucky. I'm not going to tell you the city. Went there for a weekend meeting and the elders met me at the door. They said, no, we're going to tell you something, Brother Davis. We've heard about you. I said, well, if you've heard about me, then you should not have invited me. No, we're just telling you that at 12 o'clock, we are done. The gospel was preached that morning. There were about 18 people that responded to Jesus. Are you listening to me? And those elders got up and left those people sitting on the front row. I very rarely, if ever, get angry, but I'm telling you that made me angry. And at least there were good brothers who got up out of their seats and came down and ministered to all of those people on the front pew and filled out their cards and prayed for them. And when I wrote those elders that letter from my heart, I never heard back from them. But one day they'll have to answer to God Almighty for that. Young people, let me tell you something. Learn to develop an appetite for holiness. Learn to develop an appetite for righteousness. Learn to just be able to pick up your Bible and just get lost in it. Because this is the hottest book going. And don't hang around people who don't take this book seriously. Because if you do, they won't take you seriously. 
You live before them in such a way that there is no doubt in their mind that Jesus is real to you and that Jesus is Lord. Now, in light of all of the things that I've just mentioned, what are some of the strategies that we can use to, to develop this discipline that will help us in our lives and in the lives of our children? In the first place, I believe we need to prepare our children for war. We sing that song, I'm in the Lord's Army. Y'all, y'all sing that song? You know, vacation Bible school when you stomp around. See, I like the Air Force part, you know, when you fly over the enemy. You know, I, I really like that because Jacksonville is full of Navy and I'm going to be cracking some jokes on them anyway. But, I, but anyway, that song is very, very important to me because it's not just a song. But I've often wondered how many of those children go home from vacation Bible school and then tell their parents when the kid is being tucked in at night, Mom, I'm so glad that you are in the Lord's army. I'm so glad that you show me what it means to be a soldier of Christ. Because until it translates to them, brothers and sisters, ah, we're missing it. We can take this Bible and we can beat them over the head and quote scripture at them and berate them. That doesn't work. They need to know we're serious about the Lord. They need to know that you and I are involved in a life and death struggle. Now here, here is a concept that I, I really want you to take to heart. Would you join me over in Hebrews chapter 5? <clears throat> I want you to look at something here in verses 13 and 14. This is, this is simplistic on its face, but it, but it has a profound import. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For everyone who participates, who partakes rather, only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and not so good. Is that what your Bible says? It says good and what? Good and evil. So when I asked my son when he was in high school, I said, so Ben, going to an R-rated movie, is that good or evil? Well, you know, Dad, that's really not a fair question because when you look at it on its surface, I said, Ben, please, I'm too old. Go to that passage of scripture and tell me where the R-rated movie fits. You know, Dad, I really don't like having these conversations with you. I said, I know you don't. What does it say? When you are spiritually mature, you are actually able to discern between good and evil. Not good and not so good. Not, well, you know, it's bad just because they shoot people up. That's not what the text says. And a person who wants to be spiritually inclined will be so sensitive to the word of God that they won't put themselves in a position where their integrity will be compromised. Don't you agree? And so we taught our son, you need to make your decisions at the cross. Nowhere else. You want to know how to treat a young lady out on a date? Go to the cross and confer with Jesus. He'll show you how you should act, Ben. He will, he will, he will lay it all out for you. You don't have to wonder what to do with your hands. You don't have to wonder what to do with your body. If you want to discern spiritually, to be able to discern good from evil, it's right in the text. 
We don't understand, brothers and sisters, that we're in a war and the evil one is throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at us. And some of us have our heads in the sand as if to say, well, you know, Brother Davis, it's not all that bad. You need to stop overreacting. On the campus where I work, I serve 19,000 students. And last year alone, I sat with five students across from me who were less than 25 years of age who were dying from full-blown AIDS. Who told me in their cavalier attitude that I'll live any way I choose. I'll do what I want to do. And I said, you know what? There are always consequences for our actions, aren't there? Less than 25 years of age. And we act like we're not in a war. The evil one is playing for keeps, brothers and sisters. We better be playing for keeps as well. There's a lot of talk about character education. I know you guys have studied the life of Joseph. Can you imagine, can you imagine what would happen in this country if it were required reading for every young person to study the life of Joseph? See, young people, Joseph took his SAT. Did y'all know that? He took his SAT and he passed it. Because the SAT stands for sex and temptation, and he passed. He passed it! Passed it because he was so in love with Jehovah God that he would not do anything to compromise his relationship with him. And we talk about character education in Florida. They're saying, well, just give these kids condoms, and that's the answer. Because abstinence doesn't work. And I'm thinking, who are you talking to that it doesn't work? How can you get pregnant if there's nothing that happens? Now, the last time I checked, and see, they're making a mockery of holiness. They make a mockery of righteousness. And they tell you, oh, so you're one of those Christians, and you actually think that abstaining from sex really works. Well, look at these statistics, Dr. Davis. What do you think about these statistics? I said, you really want to know what I think about your statistics? Yes, tell us what you think. Well, there's a, there's a Greek word that I think describes what I think about your statistics. And that Greek word is hogwash. That's what I think about your statistics. Go talk to a young lady who was all broken inside because she's had to go through an abortion. Go talk to her and tell me about your statistics. Talk to one of the young ladies in Jacksonville Three out of four teens in our educational system at least have one sexually transmitted disease from chlamydia, and it gets worse. Go talk to one of them. Don't give me a statistic. Give me an eternal soul. It makes a difference. You and I better understand that we are involved in a war for the souls of our children and the souls of our family, and some of us act as if, well... Okay, Brother Davis, okay, so I drop my kids off to Bible class. So I'm not in Bible class. I'm tired. I work so hard. Really? Really now? It all depends on the priority, brothers and sisters. We are involved in a war. 
And we better not ever forget that. We need to tell them the truth about the evil one in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. I know we quote it, but our children need to understand who the adversary really is. In 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 8, the Bible says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you've ever studied anything about lions, there's one thing that they probably really don't appreciate people talking about, and that is that they're scavengers. Did y'all know that? They not only look for the weak among the animals that they dine on sumptuously, they like to take over carcasses that, that other animals are trying to eat, and then they come in and just, you know, I'm just a bully. Give me the rest of the table. And as you and I are skipping along in our walk with God, some of us develop a limp. Some of us develop a spiritual disease, and we're not able to keep up with the pack. And some of us become cast. Those of you who have studied sheep, when a sheep is in a cast condition, that's a very, very dangerous position for a sheep to be in. And if you don't think for one minute that the evil one will not take full advantage of your weakness, you better think again. And you know what frightens me the most about our fellowship? Is we don't even contemplate these things. In the second place, I believe we need to prepare our families to serve. I love studying John 13 with college age and, and uh, high schoolers because when you study John chapter 13, I always like to ask on that occasion when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, how many lords were present and how many disciples were present? And, and they always give me the book answer. But realistically, brothers and sisters, there was only one servant that was present that evening, and that was Jesus. And that's why he got down on his knees and he washed their dirty, smelly feet. Because he knew the truth about himself. And he washed their feet. And even though I wasn't there, I believe that he washed Peter's feet and he even washed Judas's feet with the same tenderness that he did everyone else's. Don't you believe that? See, you can't do that unless you're a servant. You know what my problem is? I want to be everything other than a servant. See, I want my child to be a doctor. I want my child to be a lawyer. I want my child to be a dentist. I want my child to be successful. But how many children have approached your eldership here and said, you know what, I can hardly wait till God puts me in a position so that I can be an elder in the Lord's church. I want to be a preacher, Brother Davis. I want to preach God's word. What's happened to that? fallen by the wayside. Same place that it's fallen where people used to want to be teachers. Y'all remember that? Now teachers don't make enough. What they teach the engineers and they teach everybody else. We don't want to put ourselves in position where we can actually serve. I would like to think that the young people here are getting an opportunity to interact with our senior saints, that you're actually getting an opportunity to do things for them to write them notes of encouragement, 
to make things with your hands for them, not to go buy something for them, make them something. And then go and sit and listen to them and listen to their stories. See how serious they've been about God and then order your steps according to what you have heard and what you have learned. I would just write down Proverbs chapter 29 at verse 17. This is the only passage that I'll cite and then I'll, I'll hurry on. Proverbs chapter 29 at verse number 17. Well, that's not right. Yes, it is. Yeah. Ooh, look at that. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. That's what happens when correction is done in a godly way and in a consistent way. And then when you finish up this notion of service, we need to teach and model our children the joy formula. Jesus, others, and then you. Number three, we need to prepare our young people and our families for heaven. I think the greatest thing my wife and I did was to have a serious conversation when our son was in middle school about his condition before God. I don't know if you guys have been in our middle schools lately, but you better wear your flak jacket and you better pray all day, every day. How many educators do we have here this morning? How many of you teach in middle school? Smart. <laughs> Ooh, smart, smart. How many of you teach in high school? Good experience? Uh, no problems, no issues? Not major. Okay, very good. Any other high school teachers? How about your experience, ma'am? Pretty good? Okay, so you're, you're saying our Christian kids are pretty good? That's good. Oh, good. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Any, anyone else that's teaching in high schools? Oh, first grade. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think you're right, ma'am. My, my wife and I were, were listening to the news yesterday, and this little five-year-old uh, told his teacher that he wasn't going to blank, 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 uh, blank, blank, blank what she said he should blank, blank, blank do. Okay. <laughs> do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think I just lost my train of thought. No. Um, Five-year-old, I mean, so these kids that are coming up without knowing who God is and without being exposed to biblical instruction, the words that come out of their mouths and their behaviors are just absolutely, in, in, it, it's incredible. So those of you who work in, in education at any level, we definitely need to be praying for you and about your daily stewardship. But we do need to confront our children about the gospel of Christ and their condition before God. We need to have that conversation. And we should not back away from it. How much emphasis do we place on the now in Scripture? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 
Then let me hurry on to the last two points, and I'll just cite these and hope that you'll be able to develop some thoughts as you consider what we have uh, shared with you this morning. I think in the fourth place, we need to prepare our children to live in the world, but not to be of the world. And we walk a fine line when we do that. I don't appreciate preachers who jump up and say, well, you know, you, you got to watch materialism and you can't have this and you can't have that. And they have six cars at home. Tri-level, out on the lake. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? Abraham was not a poor man, y'all. Abraham had possessions, but his possessions didn't have him. I think maybe that's the key. We can have whatever we choose to have as long as it doesn't have us. And our children who want to start their families right where you have after 35 and 40 years of laboring, they need to understand that it takes time and it takes effort for them to build uh, their own relationships. We need to teach our children how to handle money and not to cut corners and to give God the first fruits of everything that we have and everything that we are. And finally, I would submit to you that we need to teach our children how to die by introducing them to the resurrection and the life. You know, in colleges and universities, the most profane word is death. Nobody wants to talk about it. It happens all the time. But they have such a weird notion of death and dying. But when you understand who the resurrection and the life is, and when you can have a covenant relationship with him, regardless of what storms blow in our lives, that gives a child a foundation that cannot be found anywhere else. So when we study with our children in John chapter 11, and they get to find out that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he can be their resurrection and life as well. I'm, I'm going to be good and, and I'm going to put an asterisk right there because this really only starts the Bible study. As long as I've been teaching and preaching, I've never been able to complete a Bible study with adults. And I, I think that's good because we're only introducing the concepts. We're only introducing these notions and then it's incumbent upon us to do something about them. I tell you for the last time, at least in this hour, that I'm not losing my family. I'm not losing my wife, not losing my son. I pray that you and I will be so serious about Jesus and about our Heavenly Father, that that seriousness will translate into their lives as they build their own relationship and their own walk with God to his glory and to his honor. God bless you.